This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to a special edition. Welcome to the Retail Insider Podcast. I'm Craig Patterson, and I'm joined here today with Charles Gauthier, the uh, current and soon-to-retire uh, president and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Association. Welcome, Charles. Uh, thanks, Craig. Let's get right into it. Uh, tell me a little bit, how, how did you get um, into the position uh, at the uh, Downtown Vancouver BIA? And this was in 1992? Yes. Um, so I was working in uh, Summerland, BC with a, um, a BIA and uh, the economic development officer for that municipality. And BIAs are relatively new in British Columbia. The first one started in 1989. And uh, I started to create a uh, you know, relationships here in the city of Vancouver from Summerland with a number of other BIA representatives and with the uh, city of Vancouver lead person that was in charge of the BIAs in Vancouver. Back then, I believe there were only about six of them, and now we have 22. Uh, and through that contact, I found out that this current position that I'm in was open and available. And I had been in Summerland for about 18 months. And, uh, you know, it was a relatively small BIA, a small community. And I was looking forward to the next uh, career opportunity. And this presented itself. So I applied. And, uh, you know, over a course of a couple of months and a couple of interviews, I did land the job. And I started here in April of 1992. Excellent. So it's been 26 years 29. 29. Oh my God, I can't do math. <laughs> That's okay. So, and, and you'll be moving on to new things? Yes, I'm stepping down at the end of uh, June. My uh, successor actually starts tomorrow, June 1st. And uh, there's a transition that's, um, you know, obviously will be in the works. Um, and uh, I will be riding into the sunset uh, at the end of day on June 30th and possibly sooner than that. Uh, but uh, my plan is to, uh, you know, not uh, work for a living anymore, uh, but to just enjoy life. And my wife has been retired for almost six years. And, you know, we want to do some traveling when we're able to do so. Uh, and I want to throw myself into other pursuits that have nothing to do with the BIA world or, or my career and my profession that I've been practicing for almost 35 years. Oh. No, it sounds great. Slowing down is, is not a bad thing, especially when, you know, when things are stressful. And, and you know, you, you are kind of ending on a note where, you know, there is a pandemic uh, in, in the world. I mean, this is such an unprecedented time. I think we've heard that about a billion times. People have said that. But, but you know, it, it's sort of ending on a note where there have been some challenges in the downtown core. Yeah, there has. Yeah, there has. And um, I was listening to... Um, uh, a podcast a little while ago about how turbulent times, uh, you know, do get people to think about what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. Uh, some people change jobs. Uh, other people do what I'm doing. They're retiring after a lengthy career. Uh, and certainly, you know, downtown, like anywhere else in the world, is going to be facing some very unique challenges in terms of uh, the recovery and the rebuild and as I was contemplating my, my decision last year, I thought it was good to, you know, let someone else take that over. Um, I've been through a number of different, um, you know, I wouldn't want to call them upheavals, but 
uh, disruptions over the course of my career, uh, some good, some not so good. And um, I, I just think that the organization and our membership can benefit uh, from someone with a fresh perspective, uh, someone who's got 15 years on me uh, in terms of being much younger. And I think we'll be able to uh, revigorate the organization and uh, be of great assistance to the downtown in the years to mm-hmm. come. And the downtown has changed quite a bit. Uh, I mean, the population alone has you know, gone from being somewhat, I guess you'd say, minimal in the early 1990s to the living first, where now there's many, many you know, condominium buildings and, and apartment buildings that uh, uh, people now live in in the downtown core. So the population really did increase. Yeah, that was such a visionary um, uh, process and uh, uh, you know, what the city wanted to accomplish back in the late 1980s and beginning of the 1990s. You know, it all started when um, uh, Expo 86 was here in 1986, and then uh, that property was purchased. And as we know, it's still in the process of being completed in terms of a totally new neighborhood on the north side of uh, False Creek. And the leadership uh, of um, of uh, Larry Beasley and Ann McAfee, who were the co-directors of planning at the city of Vancouver at the time, you know, had this vision where if we could increase the downtown population, uh, that that would be such a great uh, benefit in the long term in terms of having people live uh, close to work and, uh, you know, reinvigorate the downtown. Because I would argue that prior to that, rolling out, the downtown was very much like some of the North American downtowns that don't have a large population living in the downtown area and it's typically a nine to five type of downtown and people leave to go to their homes in the suburbs so it was a a visionary um, step that the city took in the late 1990s uh, sorry late 1980s early 1990s uh, to totally transform downtown to what it is today in terms of people living on the downtown peninsula yeah yeah and with that um, I I had lived in downtown Vancouver for um, almost eight years uh, one thing that I thought was convenient and something that certainly didn't exist in the past was this proliferation of grocery stores to serve the residents in the downtown core. You know, there's a couple of IGAs, I think, within the BIA. Um, we saw other, you know, grocery retailers, drug stores. The the uh, density of um, food and convenience retail really, really increased, which, which I think was just terrific because it created these complete communities in the downtown core that didn't exist in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, and since we're name-dropping grocery stores, uh, Urban mm-hmm. Fair, uh, you know, which has uh, two locations within the DVBA area, and then it has one in the Yale Town area, and, uh, you know, a little bit more upmarket in terms of the products and the offerings, but, um, you know, I think it certainly caters uh, to, um, you know, to the population that lives here, um, you know, as we do the work that we've been doing over the course of the last couple of years in terms of our state of downtown reports, you know, we do know that we tend to be uh, a location that has a very affluent single uh, uh, people, couples without children that live in the downtown area. So high disposable income and high earners. And so uh, definitely our retailers, you don't know who their customers are. And of course we benefit from the, uh, you know, from the 120,000 people that work downtown each and every day, except now during the pandemic. And then, of course, I would call the trifactor of all that is certainly the uh, the visitors and the conventions and meeting and the cruise ship industry that we have. So, uh, you know, we have a, a variety of different 
uh, factors here that contribute to the success of the downtown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hub for people to come, you know, from sports to working and uh, and cruise ships, which, I mean, a lot of this isn't happening right now, as you said, with the pandemic, but but some of it's going to come back, that's for sure. Uh, hopefully all of it. But uh, the cruise ship thing, the American government just changed legislation around having to dock in a foreign port after, you know, leaving an American port, which could have an impact, but I don't know where and how yet. I, I'm not an expert in that area but yeah. but when you got started let's 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 go back in time a little bit let's talk about uh, the early days uh, because when you started with the downtown vancouver business uh, improvement area uh, i was a student in high school uh, and able to visit vancouver sometime whether i was playing hockey or, or just kind of snuck into town type of thing i was in saskatchewan at the time living um so i got really excited about retail partly just from being in downtown vancouver and uh, uh, you know, there was different things. There was, a, you know, a little Holt Renfrew store at Pacific Center. Now we call it CF Pacific Center. There was Eaton's and the Bay. Woodward's had a big store over on uh, Hastings as well as suburban locations. Um, the Sinclair Center, I think, was such an interesting thing. It was quite new. Leone um, had moved in in uh, 1987, which I think is when the Sinclair Center kind of, you know, got its groove or even just opened. I'd have to go back and check on that in terms of its redevelopment of these heritage buildings into this beautiful shopping center. Uh, a multi-brand retailer. We had Plaza Escada. Uh, I attended the opening of the Dorothy Grant store, a Hayda artist with beautiful products. Her husband uh, had his artwork in there as well. Um, what were you seeing early on in your days in the downtown Vancouver BIA in terms of uh, the, the retail and what was happening as, as you were new in that position? Yeah, I would say that there wasn't a huge presence like there is today of luxury retail. And uh, I would say that we had a much greater variety of, uh, of retail uh, than some would argue that we have now. I think we just have a, a greater variety, but a higher price point in terms of retail. And we certainly have destination retail like Nordstrom, you know, it's the only Nordstrom. And I guess some would argue the Bay is uh, downtown is, you know, probably has the most um, variety and, and choice of selection than most bays do within Metro Vancouver. And so in and itself is a destination. Uh, but back in the day, I would say it was, um, you know, very much, um, much more variety, much more in terms of price points and, and not, not a lot of luxury retail. Um, and certainly I would say over the course of my tenure here uh, that we've seen luxury retail, you know, explode uh, in terms of its uh, variety and the number of stores that are available. And it, it's really interesting to see how it's, you um, the nodes have shifted, right? Because uh, West Hastings used to be the go-to luxury retail. And then over the course of the last, you know, five to eight years, Alberni Street has become, you know, the go-to place for luxury retail. And if you would include Hotel Vancouver in that mix as well. And it's actually also extended to parts of West Georgia Street as well. Absolutely. Uh, so so I think we've had we've had this really interesting shift. In, in where the luxury retail has moved to. Um, but having said that, you know, I think it still has a base uh, within uh, uh, along Granville Street and Pacific Center. And um, I, I think it's just uh, uh, mirrored what we've seen in terms of the changes within the downtown, who lives downtown, and then certainly who we're attracting in terms of tourists uh, to our city. No, oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, so I remember... Being in high school, I walked up to um, Hastings Street around Granville, and uh, there was this sign, you know, Burke's Jewelers is, is moving to this corner, uh, which was 698 West Hastings at the corner of Granville. Because 
Burks had been down where London Drugs is at the corner of Granville in Georgia in a really interesting kind of marble-clad store with the marble escalators. If you're in the London Drugs, if anyone's in Vancouver, you can actually still see the marble escalator trim from Burks, but the rest of it's been renovated to be London Drugs. Yes. Um, Yeah, and, and even that particular location you know, has really transformed substantially, you know, with the arrival of Canada Line in 2009. Um, you know, I would say that would, for me, would be a, a pivotal point um, in how retail has dramatically changed in our city with the arrival of Canada Line. Um, and of course, we're going to talk about this, but, you know, the Olympics in early 2010, uh, that I think also uh, not only transformed retail, but I think it also transformed uh, you know, how downtown ha- has uh, transformed into uh, a place for festivals and placemaking. Uh, we've elevated our game in terms of public realm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was such a catalyst uh, for a lot of development and also a change of attitudes uh, within the city uh, that, you know, it's no surprise that people want to see the Olympics return here in 2030. No, I would go. Um, and I'm sure it'll be safe to be in crowds by then. <laughs> in the United States, yes. they're doing it now, so it's already happening. But yeah, it was, it's interesting. I remember being, you know, as, as a kid, you know, walking around and uh, uh, there, there were stores and, and the higher end stores were often, they were, they were very, very small. Um, they were little kind of multi-brand. There was one called Collections International, which had a few stores in the downtown core. Uh, I just found these fascinating because little boutiques would pop up. I remember there's a little Fendi shop at the corner of Alberni and Burrard and and there was a Nina Ricci shop that was next to it. And there was, and then Faraday, um, that was a woman's first name who had founded the brand. She, or the retailer, uh, had a store. Uh, again, she had a Valentino shop. Uh, um, there's been so many moves. The, uh, and also the, the Pan Pacific Hotel at one time was kind of almost a luxury shopping area too, to, to cater to the cruise ships. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I was going to use the, the, uh, the term pop-up luxury retail, uh, but that's probably not totally appropriate, but I think it's luxury retail dipping their toe and, and testing the market. And I think also, and we know this, I mean, it's difficult to get a uh, retail space uh, in the downtown area. Actually the right location is very difficult to, to secure. And um, I think that these were just strategies from luxury retailers, like any other retail, let's see whether or not this will take off. Let's start small Let's start with a small footprint and then uh, let's look for the right opportunity. And, um, you know, we saw a little bit of that in the last couple of years with Alberni Street because that's a very tight market. Uh, You know, it's a two block stretch of luxury retail and there isn't a lot of offerings that are available. Uh, So what we saw uh, over the last couple of years is some infill development. Uh, of retail or with Concord Pacific, you know, they basically did a conversion of a building that used to have a dollar store in it uh, and a 7-Eleven. And so these transformations, you know, have really been um, interesting to watch. And it's all about the landlord as well, trying to maximize, you know, the potential of the property that they have within uh, the downtown. Mm -hmm. And and that, the dollar store, that would have been at um, the Carlisle, which, uh, that's it went right. from being, you know, a development which, which you know, had a Tony and Guy hair salon. It had a 7-Eleven store. Uh, <laughs> it really changed. I think we're 7-Eleven we're and the dollar store were, is where Prada is now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was, it's, um, 
you know, and again, it's the vision that uh, the landlords have in terms of the potential of their, their properties. And I would say to some extent that, you know, that was a, a orchestrated move uh, by a number of landlords, you know, that talked to each other about the potential of a street. And, you know, it really is kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, the, the counterbalance, if you want to use that with Robson Street, which is, you know, more uh, resembling of a of a mall and and the type of tenants that a mall would attract in there, and, and I don't know I don't have a crystal ball and I'm not an expert uh, in retail, but you know it'd be interesting to see if Robson Street at some point might become an extension, uh, and we would see more luxury retail uh, along that street at some point in time. I mean it's not beyond the possibilities of that happening. Um, you know, it may be somewhat delayed with the pandemic and uh, how we rebuild the economy, but I don't think it's far-fetched to think that that might happen one day. That would be interesting to see. Um, Salvador Ferragamo already has a store on Robson Street. Uh, It's been there, I don't know, since at least the 90s, because I remember being there as a teenager, and it's still the same location that's been renovated since then. Cartier actually had a little Lemousta Cartier store years ago. I remember across from Eaton's on Robson Street, uh, kind of where Old Navy is now. So certainly we yeah. had seen that a little bit, but I think it's coming back. And actually just north of Robson Street on, on Hornby Street, uh, just south of the Hotel Vancouver, I remember, um, I think it was Zole Group, an investor, had uh, brought in a boutique for Romeo Gili. At one time, a very uh, prominent luxury designer, Romeo Gili himself came to the opening. Uh, a few Versace brands had come in, uh, Versus by Versace and Estante as well. And uh, But I think Cafe Artigiano um, or some some food and beverage options are there now. It's across from the Vancouver Art Gallery. Yeah, we saw that too on Alberni Street, you know, and, um, you know, Ahmad Yacoub uh, of global restaurant fame and his, his suite of restaurants, you know, he got squeezed out out of Alberni Street. Uh, again, in part due to, you know, luxury retailers locating on the street. Um, but we can't forget, you know, that uh, retail and food, uh, retail and restaurants, food and beverage kind of go hand in hand, right? I mean, if people are going to be coming uh, downtown from elsewhere within Metro Vancouver, they're going to make a day of it. Uh, so combine luxury retail with lunch, uh, one of their favorite restaurants, and then, um, you know, maybe there's a, you know, a spa involved as well. And so, um, you know, again, another visionary, Ahmad, and, you know, what he was doing in Alberni Street with his restaurants there. And uh, Thierry would be another one that's on on Alberni Street. Uh, I, again, these there's going to be all these pressures in terms of whether or not some of these businesses will be able to stay there if the rents get to a point that are too unmanageable. Oh, absolutely. And uh, same back to Alberni Street. I remember years ago, there was two duty-free stores on Alberni Street. Do you remember that? Yes. I believe there are zero now and Michael's is gone as well. Right. So, um, and again, I think these moves take a number of years. I mean, obviously leases have to expire or leases have to be bought out. Uh, There's negotiations involved. And then there's, you know, obviously the tenant improvements that would have to happen. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised too. I mean, there's a part of Alberni street between um, Butte and Thurlow on the South side, you know, that has an AMW and a, and, a, and a, a number of different other restaurants, you know, that's prime for redevelopment at some point as well for rede- for luxury retail. Yeah, I would think so. I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens there because uh, I've been waiting for a few years because you look at it and it's, I'm like, you just have to reconfigure the buildings a little bit. They can do it. They can do two level flagship stores. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, and actually stepping back one more time here again, in 1991, Chanel opened on Burrard Street, which I think just started that clustering. One thing that I had observed in the 1980s as a, as a high, well, junior high and high school student, because I've been looking at retail that long, is that the higher end retail for a while there was on the South Granville Strip, which is north of the Shaughnessy area and south of um, False Creek. Uh, then we saw, you know, we obviously we had Duty Free downtown. The OK Gift Shop was serving tourists. Um, then Chanel opened a store at 755 Burrard Street, and uh, then a Celine boutique opened next to it. We started seeing these French luxury brands coming in, which, which really signaled, I think, a transformation towards uh, the downtown Vancouver, which is a very significant luxury brand node, I would say now, for, uh, for Vancouver and for Canada. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I mean, we talked a little bit about this earlier, the, uh, you know, the, the relocation of luxury retail and how it's kind of moved and expanded at the same time. I know that kind of sounds weird to say it that way, but, um, but I, I just think that, um, you know, we, we just know that retail of the same kind, like the cluster, you know, we know people comparison shop, even at luxury retail, they, they comparison shop. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think that it's, um, it's been really interesting to watch, uh, you know, over my, my career. And then uh, I'm not sure if this is the time we're going to talk about this a little bit, but, you know, Hope Renfrew and its expansion, uh, you know, in, in Pacific Center, you know, which is, is just been phenomenal. I mean, it's literally taking about, you know, half of a city block uh, when it used to have a very small footprint uh, within Cadillac Fairview Pacific Center. That's right. That's right. When I was a student, uh, it was a fairly small store. I think it was about 50,000 square feet. I had to go back and research that. But um, basically where H&M is now at the uh, CF Pacific Center. Yeah, I remember because I was actually there the night of the opening. I wasn't invited to the opening. But in 2006, Retail Insider didn't exist then. But in 2007, uh, Holt Renfrew had moved into Pacific Center North, as I think what they called it, which um, was a north extension to the shopping center. I think it had about 30 retailers at one time. It had a food court in the basement and it had a large atrium with a fountain. I remember this again as a student going through there and all of a sudden they turned it into uh, about 137,000 square foot Holt Renfrew store, which I think actually initially overwhelmed the market before the market really embraced it, like really embraced it. Yeah, and I, I remember going to that food court in the northern section of uh, Pacific Center. And, um, you know, and credit to Cadillac Fairview. I mean, the food court, I don't think was, you know, the great greatest fit there. And I think where they've relocated it to where it is now, um, you know, uh, just uh, slightly north of Nordstrom and uh, very close to the bay, uh, you know, I think has been uh, a smart move on their part. Um, but um, yeah, I think that uh, whole Renfrew uh, is a great addition, you know, to the downtown with a Granville Street address and uh, very prominent uh, and visible, you know, within our downtown. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, it started expanding again. It uh, grew to be over 190,000 square feet, which makes it one of the largest um, multi-brand luxury retailers uh, anywhere in North America, I would say. I was told by um, one of the former managers there that when Holt Renfrew was strategizing this expansion of that store, they were actually looking uh, for revenue numbers at some point, which may have been around this time if we didn't have a pandemic and if things had panned out, of being about $500 million a year, which would have uh, uh, by far been the top selling store in Canada, just just bar none. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then, we, and then Nordstrom, you know, has always wanted to be in this marketplace and, uh, you know, arrived here um, 
going to say 2016, 2017. I'm trying to see if I got my numbers right. September, 20, September 2015. I just remember this. because 2015. <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, I know we've all, I've always heard that they wanted to be, you know, in the Vancouver market. And that obviously totally transformed, you know, the Southern section of uh, Pacific Center. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Nordstrom had wanted to, uh, when uh, around the time that you'd started with the BAA, I was reading an article that Nordstrom uh, was looking at a site, I think it was on Burrard Street, which would have been around Burrard and Smythe. There's a condominium building there, mixed use with a theater called uh, Electric Avenue. Uh, and actually, a luxury mini shopping center had been developed uh, at nine, I think it was 900 or not, 900 uh, Burrard Street. Uh, it's now an IGA uh, market grocery store, but if you actually look at the design, you can see the little storefronts. It actually, and, and it has an atrium and whatnot. That was actually designed to be a shopping center. It just, I don't think it was the right location or the right time. I think it was around a recession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that seems to um, ring a bell for me as well as, as to what was going on. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting transformations. But one new thing that had happened um, in, uh, I think it was the 2000s, was the development of an entirely new high street in the Coal Harbor area. So Coal Harbor was kind of, it's, it's a very high-end residential area that developed sort of on an infill on the waterfront, which is on Burrard Inlet, which is kind of called Coal Harbor. And, and on Butte Street, a new high street developed. Um, tell me a little bit about that from what you remember. Yeah, the, you know, Coal Harbor is, um, you know, it was really interesting to see and in how it, it shaped up in terms of uh, the residential development there, the community center, um, and uh, there's an urban fair uh, in that neighborhood. And, um, you know, Western Bayshore is at the west end of that. And, um, yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think it's been, by and large, a success. I mean, there's been some criticism over the years on, you know, there's people that don't live there year-round. Uh, a lot of people complain about how uh, inactive and sleepy it is. Um, uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, you know, I think it's a, uh, I would use it as an, kind of the counterpoint to uh, Yale Town. Uh, and maybe it hasn't fully developed to the same extent that Yale Town has developed. Uh, but I, I think it's, uh, it's been a great addition to the downtown area. And uh, I think it certainly, uh, from my perspective, it, it sort of is aligned with uh, kind of the West Coast vibe of relaxation and uh, taking life you know, uh, much easier than you would sort of in the central business district. So I, I think it's been a great addition uh, to the downtown area. And, and I think it's definitely brought um, more livability uh, in that neighborhood. And I guess if you bring it all the way, depending on how you define Coal Harbor, but certainly um, uh, the Pan Pacific uh, Hotel is sort of at the most eastern edge. And then Ian Gillespie with his development with um, um, the... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, the Pan, uh, not the Pan Pacific, the, uh, the Fairmont. The Fairmont, thank you. Fairmont, yeah, the Fairmont uh, has been a great addition to you know to the downtown area as well. So I think it's just been great to see all that infill over the course of you know my tenure here uh, at the organization, and uh, I think it's just um, you know really brought. Uh, a lot of vibrancy into the downtown area. Oh, and it's such a beautiful part of town too, with the, the parks and the waterfront and the fountains, and it's just jaw-dropping. I, 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 would, I would venture to say it's one of the most beautiful places in the world for an urban uh, environment. It's just stunning. 
Yeah, the one thing we didn't talk about was, you know, the Olympic was the Olympics were also a catalyst for the expansion of the convention center with the addition of the uh, the Western uh, wing of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that and that's right across from the Fairmont um, Pacific Rim as well. Uh, and uh, and then there's a number of restaurants that are on the Jackpool Plaza with the Cactus Club and uh, Tap and Barrel. Uh, you know, and again, I just think that that provides that experience uh, for people, uh, you know, that aren't from here to enjoy that, uh, that waterfront uh, that's there. And, uh, you know, again, I, that convention center likely would not have expanded had it not been uh, for the Olympics uh, coming to Vancouver. Yeah, no, absolutely. And let's talk about the Olympics. I lived in Vancouver then. Um, it was so busy in the downtown core that so I, I was working for access pro bono legal service provider i had to run to different law firms it was actually hard for me i had an office in the courthouse to get to the law firms in the central business district because of the crowds that's how crowded downtown vancouver was and it was just such an exciting positive time the weather was actually really even good it was february it's it was quite sunny i remember just wearing a sweater uh in february sorry for everyone else in canada that's the type of weather vancouver could get sometimes <laughs> but it was really transformative to Vancouver, to downtown Vancouver, and to retail. Let's talk about that a little bit because the public realm changed quite a bit, which I think really changed the vibe of the city. It just made it even better. Yeah, so there were a number of projects that had to be completed in time for the Olympics in February of 2010. Uh, so the Granville Street redesign uh, was uh, you know, closing on getting completed by the end of 2009. I think they were doing some finishing touches in the month of January of 2010, you know, installing some of the furniture that uh, that had been especially built, custom built for Granville Street. Uh, the Canada line had been completed, uh, I think, late August of 2009. And downtown benefited from uh, three stations. Um, you know, there was the Vancouver Centre one, there was the Yale Town one, and then there was one at the terminus at the northern section of Granville Street. And then I, we talked about this a little bit, but the the building of the expansion of the convention center. Um, but I think some of the really the, the huge benefits of hosting the Olympics is it showed that um, you know we could really excel at uh, at placemaking uh, as a city. And uh, I would look at it both from you know building out the public realm, which uh, we I mentioned we did Granville Street and then the convention center. But I think it planted the seed that we could do so much better in terms of what's known as Block 51. It takes into account the courthouse, Robson Square, and the Vancouver Art Gallery. So it's a large parcel that runs from uh, Georgia Street uh, right to uh, to Nelson. And uh, it talked about the possibilities of what could we do. And as you know, Robson Square was an epicenter of a lot of the programming that the provincial government was doing. There was a zip line there. And there was a lot of activations that were happening there. And then Granville Street was also closed uh, to all vehicular traffic. And the buses were not not running on Granville Street throughout the duration of the games. They were running on the parallel streets of Seymour and Howe. Mm. And so Granville Street became, uh, you know, the main focus of a lot of the public celebrations that were happening. And as an organization, we were approached by the city uh, to uh, uh, accredit uh, buskers, street performers that were coming from all over the world to perform uh, in Vancouver. And I think we were close to 200 performers 
uh, buskers that were performing outdoors for free. Uh, and they were basically getting paid through the hat, people making donations to them. And it was just so incredible to watch that happen that when the Olympics were over, you know, we all kind of had the letdown and, you know, we were kind of all, all going, wow, wish we could do that again next year. Uh, but it did lead into some really innovative programming that we experimented with with the city. So in 2011 and 2012, we did close off Gravel Street and we did have a number of different festivals and events that were taking place there. And then, as you know, there were uh, temporary closures from time to time of Robson Street in that 900 block or sorry, 800 block um, that allowed that particular area to serve as a true public square rather than having uh, buses run through it. Uh, along Robson Street. And uh, I think that was, for me, the, the legacies of the Olympics, that we can host public events and do it on a much larger scale. And we should be doing much better with our public realms. And, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, we've seen the redesign of the front plaza of the Vancouver Art Gallery, mm -hmm. uh, which has been a fabulous spot over the last couple of years to host a number of different public events and uh, actually starting next week, there's going to be a farmer's market that's going to actually, sorry, June 2nd, uh, this Wednesday, it's kicking off. And then uh, this year, the city uh, opened up the, uh, the new Robson square, which is now a, a new public plaza. Uh, so we do, will not have buses or any kind of vehicles running through that area Again, it's now a uh, public plaza. And it, the moment that it opened earlier this year, uh, it was amazing to see how people flock there when the weather was great, uh, to sit at the tables and chairs, and there's now buskers performing there, and it will be a much used space going forward. So again, I attribute all these changes uh, to what we witnessed during the 2010 Winter Olympics, and it's been such a great legacy uh, for us as a city. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, Vancouver, since Expo 86, then into the Olympics, it's just transformed. I mean, if you think pre-1986, Vancouver was, you know, a very lovely city, or at least geographically, but it, but it certainly wasn't what it is now in terms of being this kind of a world-class destination. It was still kind of a sleepy city. I mean, on Robson Street, there was a guy, I think, that had a store that sold eggs. I mean, these are things you would never see today in a big city. Yeah, I didn't talk much about the transformations in retail, but... I kind of think that to some extent, you know, the changes that I've talked about in terms of placemaking and public realm, you know, kind of fuels, um, you know, what retail is going to look like. And I think vice versa. I think retail definitely influences, you know, how we use public spaces and what we do as a city. So uh, call it a symbiotic relationship. Um, you know, I think retail certainly does contribute, you know, to very lively streetscapes. I mean, who hasn't you know, when we were out and about prior to the pandemic, you know, doing window shopping and, and the fact that retailers spend a lot of time in terms of the design of their window space and how they present that and how they're trying to lure customers into their store. Uh, I would argue that I think that they contribute so much, you know, to the vibrancy of our cities. And, you know, you don't get that from, uh, you know, from going online and buying stuff. Uh, you know, it's not part of the experience. Um, and so I think that uh, we've seen, you know, some really interesting retail um, storefronts. I mean, the one I always like to point to is John Fluvog's store on Granville Street. 
and how he, over the course of, I think it's probably two years ago, he totally transformed his, his facade to make it, you know, colorful and more interesting. And uh, I would think that I can't speak for John Fluvog, but I think for John, you know, he's part of the community and he's trying to contribute uh, in his way through making his facade interesting and uh, part of the conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I agree. I think that, you know, retail and certainly food service, food and beverage, uh, uh, you know, is, is transformative. It, 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 you know, creates crowds, it, you know, generates money. It's an eyes on the street, which can also create, uh, you know, that perception of safety that might not be there if a street is deserted. Yeah, and I think you see that with food and beverage now. And that's, uh, again, I would say it's part of the legacy of the pandemic where a lot of our our restaurants in, in the city of Vancouver, you know, have had to, out of necessity, you know, provide a patio uh, service as well. I mean, it's been different here in British Columbia than it has been elsewhere in Canada, but by and large, our restaurants have been open, um, you know, we're for dine in almost the entire time with some gaps in that. Uh, but had they had not had the ability to provide uh, a patio service, a lot of them wouldn't be around today. But I think that that's going to be, I think we're close to closing in 500 patios in the city of Vancouver um, over the course of the pandemic. And that's just not a necessity. And I have my fingers crossed that this will be something that will remain well after the pandemic is over. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, and it seems like downtown Vancouver is becoming quite pedestrian first in terms of, uh, Again, the Robson Street Plaza, you're, you're seeing, you know, more of this happening. It, that's one thing I've noticed across Canada with the pandemic is that we're starting to see public realm. We're even seeing more bike lanes, which is something Vancouver had very much excelled at compared to other cities in Canada. But other cities in Canada are also putting in bike lanes because there's been this opportunity to change infrastructure because we had more work from home and, and people's minds are just, you know, not quite set in their ways as they would have been before because a pandemic can change everything, right, in terms of our psyche. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, again, our organization was not always a supporter of separated bike lanes. And, you know, we certainly had an epiphany a number of years ago, and we certainly heard from our membership that they value customers that come to their stores riding their bikes or on foot. Um, and so we've adopted an approach that, you know, we support all modes of transportation. And, uh, you know, if we can make it easy for people to cycle downtown, uh, to um, go to restaurants and shop, uh, that's something we should support. And I don't think it takes anything away from the consumer who travels in their own private vehicle. I think what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, be available and accessible to all people. And uh, if people prefer to walk or cycle or take transit, uh, you know, I think we should try to make every single effort to make that possible. No, absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest things I think Vancouver has going for it is it's the geography surrounding the city. You know, downtown is going to continue to be desirable for the fact that, you know, there's just so much natural beauty around it. And you don't really get that in other cities. I mean, even places like San Francisco, you know, they're beautiful, but Vancouver, it's just, it's greener. You know, there's few cities in the world that have established themselves in such a, a way, you know, in, in a rainforest on the ocean with mountains, it's, it's a spectacular. So, uh, you know, I, I loved my time in Vancouver. I live in Toronto now, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll return someday to live. And I want to say thank you as well for having me for one of the downtown uh, Vancouver report presentations. I think it was uh, late 2019, just before the pandemic, which ended up being my last time in Vancouver, just because, well, I haven't really traveled much since then. Yeah, it was great to have you um, part of our programming in the past. And I hope you stay connected with the organization and uh, we 
I think they'll look forward to your contributions. Yes, yes, it'd be great to travel again as well. <laughs> we'll yes. do things virtually, I suppose. So, but but thank you so much, Charles Gauthier. You are uh, in the process of retiring here as president and CEO of the downtown Vancouver uh, business uh, improvement area. And uh, thank you so much for all of your years of work here. Um, it's been absolutely wonderful. And and you know, again, downtown Vancouver is where I got really interested in retail in a lot of ways. So for me, talking to you about this here is a bit of me reliving some of my youth as well. Yeah, well, thank you very much for the opportunity. And uh, I've had a great uh, tenure here and I've enjoyed, uh, you know, what I've done and the people I've worked with. And, uh, you know, it's just a fabulous uh, business community. And as your listeners know, you know, Vancouver is relatively small compared to Toronto, especially. And, uh, um, you know, my sense is that people are, uh, you know, rolling up their sleeves and getting ready to do the hard work of the recovery. You bet. I want to say thank you, everyone, for listening to this segment as well. And uh, we'll be back with more special guests here on the Retail Insider Podcast. Take care and bye for now.